How would you like to do church like Jesus did? Over the past few years, we've learned that church can happen in a very meaningful way outside of a church building. In fact, we're getting raving reviews from our house churches, which are now over a hundred. Though I thank God for church in buildings and on campuses, God is leading more and more people these days to gather for church in their homes. Not only is it easier for many people to attend a house church, but a house church can provide a level of community that campuses can't. So, every Thursday in December and January, I plan to host a house church interest meeting on Zoom. The meetings will be at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. If you're not attending a church right now and are interested, or know of anyone who may be interested in learning how to start a house church, simply email hcinfo at solidlives.com or click the link on the description of this podcast to receive the Zoom link details. Again, that's hcinfo at solidlives.com. Okay, now let me welcome you to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where we read and talk through a chapter of the New Testament every day. I'm glad you're here because reading God's Word daily will change your life. I'd appreciate it if you'd help others find this resource by sharing the link. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, so we were talking about how John was with Jesus and watched him and heard him and uh, engaged in fellowship with him. And then he talked about how if we'll walk in the light, he said, he, well, he said, I'm writing to you so that you would have fellowship with us and our fellowship with, with Father God and the Lord Jesus. And if we'll walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. If we'll confess our sins, he'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we'll be able to walk in fellowship with God and with one another by walking in the light. So now we're on to chapter two, and here's what he says. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Oh, I just have to stop there because there are some folks that give you the impression that the New Testament tells us, oh, don't worry about sin. Sin is dealt with. Uh, Jesus has paid for it, which he has. So you don't have to worry about it if you sin anymore because you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace, which we are. And so, therefore, don't worry about it if you sin. You know, don't let anybody condemn you. Just sort of go on. You can continue to sin and live with the Lord. Well, the first chapter showed us that if we're living in sin and we're not repenting of that sin, confessing that sin, then, but we're acting like saying that we have fellowship with God, John says, you're lying. That's not true because there's no darkness. There's no sin with God. And so we need to walk in the light and walk in the truth and walk in obedience to God if we're going to have fellowship with him. So here he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And as I usually say about these New Testament authors, these New Testament authors do not condone a lifestyle of sin or ongoing sin in, in our lives. These New Testament authors, I mean, across the board, they confront sin and they tell us that we better confront sin and we should be walking in obedience and walking in the truth. And John's no exception. In fact, I would venture to say that John is the strongest on this issue of all the New Testament authors. And we'll see it right here in this little book. So he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And then he goes on to say, and if anyone sins, 
We have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's saying, look, if you sin, we have an advocate. We have uh, an attorney. We have somebody representing us, somebody advocating on our behalf. And it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's pure. He's righteous. He, he's obedient. But he's our advocate. He's advocating on our behalf. Now, he's not advocating on our behalf that God would allow us to keep sinning. No, he's advocating that there has been salvation. There has been payment for the sin to get us back from the sinful state, uh, back from a, a, a state of sinning, back into fellowship with God uh, through the forgiveness by his blood. Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation. He's the sacrifice. He's the substitute sacrifice. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, I just have to comment there because there's a doctrine called limited atonement that says that Jesus really didn't pay for the sins of the whole world. He only paid for the sins of the elect, those that God knew would end up being saved and in heaven and such. But once again, just like John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. And just like 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And just like 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's not just a limited amount of people. It's not just the elect that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. Uh, for he paid for the sins of everybody in the world, even those that he knew would not come and receive salvation through him. It's like that parable that Jesus told in the 13th chapter of Matthew, or oh, right around the 44th verse, if I remember right. And it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure hidden in the field. And for joy over it, the treasure, he went and bought the whole field. And so well, who is that? Well, it, this is not talking about Jesus being the treasure. He is a treasure. This is talking about Jesus and the church, the elect. And he found them. He knew by his foreknowledge that there would be people who would receive his salvation and become one with him and such. And for joy over the treasure, the church, the, the elect, the body of Christ, the future body of Christ. He went and bought the whole field. The field is the world. <laughs> he went and bought the whole field. In fact, in the previous parable, you'll read there where it says in the explanation of the parable, the field is the world. And I think that carries over to that parable. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world so that he might get us uh, who he knew would receive him. And it's the elect. Thank God. So it says here, Jesus Christ, the righteous, verse two, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world, even those who won't receive him. Now, by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, notice this. This is how you know that you know him if you keep his commandments. So don't tell me that we can just go on sinning unchecked. And everything's okay. Absolutely not. John said, uh-uh. This is how you know that you know him, if you keep his commandments. Verse 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Boy, I tell you what, John is straight between the eyes here. And this is John who walked with Jesus. 
And this is John who, by this point in time, by the way, he's elderly. He's at least in his 70s, maybe 80s, and it could be even 90s. And so it says, uh, you're a liar if you don't keep your commandment, don't keep his commandments, but you're saying you know him, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. By this we know, by keeping his word, and then the love of God is perfected in you. Verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He who says he abides in the Lord, abides in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Boy, I tell you what, John is holding the line here saying, look, if we're going to be saved, then we need to walk like Jesus walked. We need to walk in obedience to him. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard, excuse me, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Let me read it again. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light, the true light of Jesus, the true light of the word of God. Verse nine, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Notice this. I mean, this can't just be between you and God. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. That's a powerful verse. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Notice uh, John is beginning to turn, as he does so well, to talking about walking in love. And he's saying, you, if you're going to walk in the light of the Lord, you got to walk in love because God, he's eventually going to say in the chapter three, God is love. God is love. So verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Thank God. Notice he writes to you, little children, little children, not talking necessarily about uh, little kids by age. He's talking to people who are much younger than he is and newer in the faith. And he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 13, I write to you fathers. Now he addresses a different audience. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men. So now he's directing his comments to young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And of course, young men, we're talking about lust and everything. He has discipled them, and they have, through the word of God, overcome the wicked one. And uh, you remember John said in, uh, John recorded, I should say, in, in the gospel of John, John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who received him, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So now John's writing to the young man saying, you have overcome the wicked one. And of course, it's through the word of God, the power 
of God's word. He goes on to say, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, verse 14, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men. So he's sort of going back through those audiences. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So he's addressing these various audiences and he's saying, I have written to you and I do write to you for these particular reasons. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So notice he just confronts uh, directly our flesh uh, our hearts that become so attached to the things of the world. And he said, hey, don't love the world. This world is passing away. Don't love the world or the things, the things, the material things, we, sh- we could say, the material things of the world. That would not just be uh, money and uh, possessions and such, but it could also be Uh, lust. It could also be relationships and such. He said, look, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the love that we have and receive from Father God is so pure and it's not tainted or defiled by materialism or the love of money or lust or anything like that. So he's saying, look, If you're going to have the love of the Father abiding in you, then you're going to have to stop just loving what everybody else loves about and in this world. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, and he's going to put them in three categories. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So John is just clarifying, look, I walked with the Lord Jesus and we he taught us and he showed us how to live for God. And it's such a contrast to the way that people live in this world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of uh, the flesh and the pride of life. Verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. The world is passing away and the lust of it. You're thinking, well, man, wasn't this nearly 2,000 years ago that John wrote that? And here the world's still in, in existence. Yeah, but it's as true as it ever was that this world, as we know it, it is passing away. God is eternal. We're going to live eternally with the Lord if we're if we're committed to him and we're and we stay with God, continue to walk with the Lord. We're going to We're going to live eternally with him, and this world will have passed away. So this is so true. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So he's saying all these things are temporary, but he who does the will of God. Now notice, he says, he who does the will of God. I thought we weren't saved by works, Jerry. We're not. However, having been saved by grace, we need to walk in that grace by being obedient to the Lord. And if we're not being obedient to the Lord, we haven't yet received the grace to save us from our sins and to put us on on a level or put us in a place to be able to walk in obedience to God. So 
He says, uh, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. Well, boy, if 2,000 years ago was the last hour, we're certainly on the last minute today. He said, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. By which, that doesn't mean that there's not still one main Antichrist that's coming. He is coming. And John is acknowledging that. But he said there are other sort of precursory or uh, like the Antichrist, but not the Antichrist, but they're Antichrist people. He said many of them have come to deceive and such already. He said, even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be uh, made manifest that none of them were of us. So he's saying some of these people were among us as believers. He said, and they went out from us and began to twist things and became an antichrist person, somebody to deceive, to draw people away, to pull them away to something that's not true and not pure. He said, and that's how we know uh, because of what they've done. That's how we know that they they were not of us. So uh, he goes on in verse 20 to say, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. Notice, you have an anointing from the Holy One and know all things. Now, do you remember when we're talking about the anointed one, the anointing? Jesus said in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because God anointed me. So God has poured out the oil of the Holy Spirit on Jesus when he was at the baptism of John the Baptist. And So now John is saying, you have an anointing. Well, if you're born again, you've received the Spirit, especially if you're Spirit-filled or Spirit-baptized, you certainly have been filled and overflowed, uh, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So is he really saying that, oh, now you're like God, you know all things? No, he's saying, but through the Holy Spirit, the anointing, of the Holy Spirit, the the knowledge of all things is within you. So now you've got the one who knows all things living in you. And so therefore, you're, you're carrying around in you by the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of all things. Uh, in other words, he's saying you're not ignorant anymore. You have the, the all-knowing one living in you. Verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ or that Jesus is the anointed one. He is antichrist who denies the father and the son. Verse 23, whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the father also. Verse 24, therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Excuse me. Uh, Let me read that again. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the son and in the father. 
verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Aren't you glad that's a promise and not just an option that he could give us? It's a promise to those who really commit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in his ways. Verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing, this is a powerful verse, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. I could spend (laughs) at least a half an hour just on that one verse. But let me just give you the gist of this. But the anointing which you have received from him, talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which you've received from the Lord. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send another helper to you. The anointing which you received from him abides in you. And therefore, you don't need somebody else to teach you because the anointing, the Holy Spirit inside of you, reveals things to you. Even as you're reading the Bible, things he begins to reveal things to you from God's word. Uh, the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Talking about the anointing, just as the anointing of the Holy Spirit has taught you and opened your eyes and minds to these things, he says, you'll abide in him. Now, let me just clarify, because I think that's powerful. You will live for God. You will live in the light of what the Holy Spirit has enlightened you with. So in other words, I could tell you things, other people could teach you things and such, but until the Holy Spirit teaches you those things, you don't walk at that level because you have it hasn't been revealed. Your eyes haven't been opened. I could teach till I'm blue in the face and you won't get it. But the moment I say it one more time or somebody else says it or you read it from the Bible and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to it, now you can walk in it. See, because now you really see it. And once you really see it, because he's shown it to you, now you can walk in it. That's what he's saying. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So here's John who walked with Jesus. But John is saying, look, when he comes back the second time, we don't want to be ashamed. In other words, he has done so much for us. He's done everything he needs to do. We, we cannot disappoint him. When he comes back, we've, we have to have been living for him. We have to be honoring him. We have to be walking in his ways. So you can see, man, John, after all these years, some maybe 70 years uh, to even 80 years or more after Jesus died on the cross, he's still fervent about making sure we please him when he gets back, that we're walking in his ways. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And so uh, once again, John is passionate about living in obedience, about ridding ourselves from sin and walking in a way that truly pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa, what a powerful chapter. I look forward to chapter three tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. 
If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.